Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Everybody doing well? Praise God. Did you tell anybody Merry Christmas this week? Yes. Praise God. Good for that. I know many of you uh, received or bought one of the uh, Jesus Calling devotionals. How many of you have been using those? I've heard good things from those. Uh, We're out of them, and we're going to get some more of them for those of you that still want them. Excuse me. Then how many of you put something in a red kettle for the Salvation Army this week? Man, y'all, we just need to go home and go eat. I mean, amen? Man, I did too. I was so excited. I put money in the red kettle and helping the Salvation Army and what they're doing. And so, uh, man, y'all have done a good job this week. I asked somebody since we have two services, and I'm in both of them, if I get extra points. And so I do. So so y'all get extra points too, okay, amen? I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Uh, This morning, I want to give you the title from my message. And then I'm going to, and then you'll better, you'll be able to understand and follow along with me. I want to talk to you this morning about how God uses nobodies. How God uses nobodies. You know as well as I do, if somebody important comes to town, everybody generally knows it. If President Obama were to fly in an Air Force One to Amarillo, it would be on the news, uh, they would block off traffic. Uh, where Arthur drives to work at Bell would be blocked off and he couldn't get to work. Uh, they would have uh, the mayor out there and they'd have dignitaries. They'd probably have school children to present flowers to the first lady. Uh, we, we would all know about it. When I was a boy growing up in Amarillo, uh, uh, there was a time when uh, Muhammad Ali, at the time he was the uh, heavyweight champion of the world, where he and his, his entourage and their bus were traveling across country. I don't even know where they were going. Well, they stopped in Amarillo because they needed to buy gas or fuel for their bus. And so they stopped at a truck stop. Well, of course, the, the media knew about it. And so they were out there to interview him. Uh, and it was a big deal that the heavyweight champion of the world was in Amarillo. And one of the reporters asked him, uh, you know, what do you think about Amarillo? And he said, what's it like? You know, what do people do in this one horse town? And, uh, and so none of us were happy that he said that. So we, we didn't like him after that. Uh, and, and the point of what he was saying was, is, you know, Amarillo wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, when I, after my father had passed away, I moved to Dallas, and I spent a season living with my aunt and uncle. And I was there. I was really there just to try to get my feet back on the ground. I was trying to find my bearings, and uh, my world had been turned upside down. And while I was there, I, I knew a girl, a family friend had a daughter and I knew her and it just so happened that Elvis Presley was going to be there for a concert. Now this was toward the end of his career and uh, it was when he was wearing the white suits and the sequins and had eaten too many biscuits and gravy and, uh, and it, but, but it was still Elvis, you know what I'm saying? And so we managed to get tickets and went to see him and oh, you know, it was Elvis and the women were all screaming and you know, when it was over, he left the stage and everybody stayed and kept chanting his name and somebody came over the microphone and said, Elvis has left the building and which meant get out of here, go home. He's not coming back. He's already at the motel, Okay. But, and, and the point of that was, was he was important. He was important, okay? Now, I, don't, I know you won't take this the wrong way, but we live in a relatively unimportant part of Texas. Now, I love the panhandle. I was raised here, so don't come up to defend the panhandle after the service. I just want to make a point. 
We, we live in an unimportant part, part of Texas, and it's the panhandle. We don't always have strong representation in Austin. Uh, Amarillo is not as populated as some of the areas down south. Uh, you know, they've put up these huge uh, towers with wires, and they're going to put in wind turbines to make electricity so we can send it down south to the important parts of Texas where everybody lives. Right? And so we, and, and then we, you know, myself, I live here in Tulia, so we live in a small town. And we, and we live in a, a sparsely populated area. And I know in every one of our hearts, my heart included, you know, we want to be important. We want to be recognized. We want to be known. And, it, and it's something that can be in every one of us. But it's not always the way that God operates. All right, you think about Jesus, the most important person in the history of humanity, snuck into a small town in an out-of-the-way place inside a young Jewish girl who was a teenager and was born in a barn. God does things differently than the way we do things. I can tell you even in the church world as a pastor, okay, and I love being here, and I love this church, and I love you, and I'm grateful. But if you want to be important in the church world, you don't want to be in Tulia. I mean, you at least want to get to Amarillo or Lubbock, okay? I mean, you know, there's mega churches in Amarillo and Lubbock, and if you really want to be somebody, you know, you need to get to Dallas or to Austin or, you know, Houston. I mean, you know, that's where Joel Osteen is. You need to be someplace like that. Or you need to be, if you really want to be cool, you need to be in Portland or Seattle or Phoenix or Denver. I mean, that's where something really is going on, okay? Now, the point of that is this. God uses ordinary people. And if you will, God uses nobodies, and God uses nobodies in out-of-the-way places. So there's hope for what God is doing in your life and doing in this area. Now, I want to take just a few minutes this morning, and I'd like to explain to you a little bit of background in the story of Mary and Joseph. Now, we all know the story, right? And they grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a small place. Uh, the studies I've done is that Matt Nazareth was about 500 people. Uh, anytime you do studies and look it up, the word uh, village is used. Father Ken, who's a priest in Nazareth, right down here in Nazareth, Texas, not the other Nazareth, uh, and he's a good brother in the Lord. Anytime he talks about Nazareth down the road, he always calls it the village. And if you see him in Nazareth, he'll say, welcome to the village. Well, what that means is a small place. So Nazareth had about 500 people in it. It was a very small place. Now, something else I want you to understand is, uh, you know, our communities are spread out. And what I mean by that, you know, is we're about 12 or 15 miles from Happy. We're about the same distance from Silverton. Uh, we're kind of spread out. It doesn't seem spread out to us because we go to every one of these places at 75 miles an hour. But, right, but they didn't do that. They walked, okay? And their communities were closer together than ours. And what I'd like for you to do is um, I want you to imagine in your mind that they lived in these small communities and they were close together and they would be able to walk to these communities and they were around in this area. Now, Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth and everybody knows everybody. It's just like in Tulia. When you go to the grocery store, you're there for an hour because you have to talk to everybody in the aisles. You have to visit with everybody. You talk with the lady checking you out because we all know everybody. And that can be a great thing, but it can also be a hard thing sometimes. So here's what happens. Mary, they say, is about 14 years old. All right, when my grandmother got married, she was 14. 
My grandfather, I think, was about 19 or 20. And when they got married, they lived in Delhart, Texas, up the highway, out in Coldwater County, and they lived in a dugout. We today would not anyone, not want anyone to get married at 14 years old. But based on their culture and on their time, she was about 14 when the angel visited her and she became pregnant. I want to read this story to you, and I'm going to start Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin engaged or betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now here's the first thing I want you to think about. Here's a 14-year-old Jewish girl who's engaged to a young guy named Joseph. And she has a visitation by an angel who tells her that she's going to be pregnant and she's going to have a baby and the baby's going to be God's son. Now, Jewish women did not have a lot of value in their culture. A rabbi in public was not even supposed to speak to his wife. You were not supposed to talk to women in public. Women did not have a lot of value. Then if you were a teenager, you had even less value. The only person who saw the angel was Mary. All right? Her mother didn't see it. Her dad didn't see it. You know, if I was God, I would have done this a little differently. Okay? I would have had a family meeting. Right? I would have had a family meeting, and I would have sent Gabriel, and they would have had dinner, and then I would have told everybody how great this is going to be, and your daughter's going to have a baby, and it's going to be God's son. She was the only one who saw the angel. She was the only one that talked to Gabriel. Okay, this violated her being pregnant, violated their culture. It was incredibly offensive. Now, you think about when you read the New Testament, Jesus a lot of times violated their culture. He violated their rules. He did things that they were considered offensive. Do you remember the story where the woman came in and he was having dinner with some of the religious leaders and she fell at his feet and she wept and her tears touched his feet and she took her hair and rubbed his feet? Okay, they were incredibly incensed and, and violated by that and offended by it because it violated their culture. Now, can you imagine Mary? She lives in a small town just like the small towns we live in, and she has to go tell her mother and her dad. She has to go tell her family, oh, man, I saw this angel. Great. It was Gabriel. Great. Uh, he told me that I'm pregnant. G great. And I'm going to have a baby, and it's going to be God's son. Just let that soak in. Okay, I mean, it, it had to be hard to swallow, don't you think? It had to be hard to take. I mean, it was like, what, what do you mean you're pregnant? You're engaged. You're engaged. You know, what has Joseph done? Oh, no, no. It's not Joseph's. It's God's. Honey, you know, call the psychiatrist and see if we can get an appointment. 
right? Mary's, Mary's lost her mind. She thinks she's having God's baby. Now, here's the thing. See, they understood the prophecies. They, they knew the Old Testament. They knew it. But surely God wasn't going to use a family that didn't matter in an out-of-the-way, nowhere place to do something so amazing and so miraculous. Listen, God, God should use the daughter of a rabbi. He should use somebody that's important in Jerusalem. See, if it happened today, well, it would need to be Billy Graham's daughter or it would need to be Joel Osteen's daughter or it would need to be somebody of faith that you recognize. Uh, it should have been Deal Moody's daughter. Just whoever it is that you know and that you value. Okay, the savior of the world surely can't come from uh, a group of uh, a people who are a minority because that's exactly what the Jews were. They were a minority and they're under the thumb of the Roman Empire. If Jesus came today, now I know he would have to be a Jew, but that aside, if he came today, he would have to come through a minority group. He wouldn't come through the most powerful group because he didn't come through the most powerful group then. He came through a minority. So it would need to be somebody important. Does that make sense? It can't be a family that's not important. It can't be a family that lives in an out-of-the-way place. But in fact, that's exactly how God does it. So she has to go in and tell her family, I've had this vision. I saw Gabriel. You know, Gabriel's one of the big ones, right? You know, one of the big guys in heaven, Gabriel, Michael. You know, they don't send him out for milk, okay? I mean, right, they send him to do important things, right? So he has to go and tell her, hey, you're going to have a baby. Then she has to go tell Joseph. Can you imagine? They're engaged. Hey, I've got great news. Really? You've picked out your dishes. <laughs> right? <laughs> You've picked out where the reception's going to be. You know, those are, you know when you got married how big those things are, right? She says, no, it's even bigger than that. I'm going to have a baby. What? A baby? Mary, what have you done? I, th- I thought we had something going here. I mean, we're engaged. We're going to get married. Your family's happy. My family's happy. What have you, what have you done? What have you, I'm, you, you, and, and then she says, oh, and it's God's baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure it is. Sure it is. Can you imagine? All right, she's the only one that's seen the angel. Now, this is so disturbing to Joseph that God sends an angel to talk to him. And I want to read that to you. I want to read it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And I'm reading the New King James. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you're going to call him Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, again, the only one who saw the vision was Joseph. The only one who saw Gabriel was Mary. So he has to go to Mary and say, hey, you're right, you're right, I had a vision. Let's go talk to mom and dad. So they have to go to his parents, and he says, I had a vision. Uh, She is pregnant. Uh, It is God's baby. This is all true. Can 
can you imagine what her family, I mean, before the vision, I'm sure his parents, it says right there that he was a just man. You remember when the woman was caught in adultery in the New Testament and Jesus kneeled down and he put his finger in the dirt. You remember that story? And he looked up at all the men holding stones and he said, let him that cast the first, uh, that was without sin cast the first stone. And they all left. Okay, see, Joseph had a right to expose Mary. See, he could distance himself from her. He could expose her and say, hey, I had nothing to do with this. She is pregnant. She claims it's God's son. I don't know where she got that idea. Uh, I don't know who it belongs to. I just know it doesn't belong to me. They could have even have stoned her if they'd have chosen to. But it says because he's a just man, he's going to put her away privately. We'll send her across town or even to the next town. Why don't we send her to the next town to the unwed mother's home? Now, those of you that are old enough in here, you remember right here in America when a girl would get pregnant, they would send them to an unwed mother's home to have the baby in secret. You know, we don't do that anymore. But if you're old enough, you remember, you may have even have known someone that that was done to. And they, and they said, why don't we put her away privately? Let's hide her secretly. He could have done that. Now, Joseph was a carpenter. And I believe he was a good carpenter. I believe he was a craftsman. All right, he grew up in a family of carpenters, and I believe he was really good at what he did. And I believe that there were probably homes in Nazareth that had their furniture in their homes that they made. And I wonder if there weren't even people in other communities that maybe had furniture that they had made. And I wonder at the end of a work day if they didn't sit around and talk around the table and dream about, you know, what would it be like if we could improve our production you know, what if we went to the town down the road and we actually put in another shop? And what if we hired some uh, other craftsmen to build furniture for us? Then I wondered if he would even dare dream of maybe someday going to Jerusalem, which was about 80 miles from where they were. What if they, I, and I don't know this, I'm just guessing. What if they'd have sat around the table and said, man, you know, what if we could open a shop in Jerusalem someday? What would it be like? You know, all the carpenters in Jerusalem make way more money than we do here. You know how it is, right? The people who live in the city, all, whatever it is you do, right? Uh, they always make more money in the city than we do out here. What would it be like if we could have a shop maybe in Jerusalem someday and we could expand? Oh, yeah, but now my girlfriend's pregnant. And it's God's fault. All right, I wonder if that hurt business any. You know, it spread around town just like it would here, Right? Right? I wonder if people quit coming in. Oh, you know, Joseph's place, you know, isn't he the guy with the crazy girlfriend that's pregnant by God? Right? And see, you know, you've made this story all sweet and wonderful and beautiful, and it is sweet and wonderful and beautiful, but you've, you've been lied to. Uh, their lives were disrupted by God. All right? Their lives were disrupted by God. And see, you're mad at God because he won't straighten everything out in your life. You're mad because he won't fill up your bank account or double your business or whatever it is you want him to do just to make everything okay and better. And when God shows up with miracles, it made people in the community not happy. Now, let me read you something about Joseph. When Joseph chose Mary, he chose shame, dishonor, and gossip. Let me say it to you one more time. When Joseph chose Mary, he chose shame, he chose dishonor, and he chose gossip in the community. Now, not from God, in the community. When he said, this is my woman, 
and I'm standing by her. And she's having a baby, and it's God's. If you don't like it, lump it. That didn't make him probably very popular. Now, Elizabeth believed it, right? She went and saw Elizabeth, and she's pregnant with John the Baptist, and it says the baby jumped in her womb. And Elizabeth started dancing and singing and prophesying and told Mary, you're having the, your, your baby's my Lord and my Savior. She knew. She recognized it. You ever notice how when God moves in your life, you have people who see it and people who don't, right? And you have people who think what's happened to you, right? Herod knew it, but now he didn't completely understand it. See, Herod just knew there was a threat and this, this prophecy had come and this king's coming, this king of the Jews guy, and, and, and I'm the king and I only want to be the king and nobody else is going to be king besides me. And so then he sends soldiers and, and to slaughter the innocent and there's genocide and that's a whole other story that I don't have time to tell this morning. But Herod knew something was up. But I just wonder how many people, you know when Jesus was in his ministry, his own brothers didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. You remember in the town, remember it says he could do no mighty works because, oh, aren't you Joseph's boy? Oh, yeah. See, people don't forget, do they? Oh, yeah, you're that kid that was born illegitimate. And they said you were God's son. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, you're that guy. I know who you are. So they they didn't believe. But Joseph, when he said yes to Mary, he said yes to shame and to gossip. Now, here's the thing I want to ask you this morning. I'm not picking on you. I just want to ask you. Think how important your reputation is to you. Think how important our small town reputations are to us. Right? Our good name. Our family's good name. My parents or my, even my grandparents' good name. Right? We all have reputations. And we guard those reputations. And we're careful with those reputations. And in small towns, we, we, we guard our reputation. Joseph had a reputation he had a reputation of being a craftsman until God showed up with a miracle, right? right? Mary had a reputation in town, and it wasn't bad until God showed up with a miracle. Now, think how you want Jesus, but you don't want it, your reputation to be messed up. I mean, you don't want it to cost you anything at work. You don't, you don't want it to violate any of your friendships. You don't want to have to stand up in the light and say, it, I, it's Jesus, that's who I follow. No, no, we, we, I mean, we do, but... You know, I don't want it to disrupt anything. You know, I want enough of Jesus to save me, but not enough to change me. You know, I still want to be normal, right? I still want all my friends and family to love me, right? I still want the people I work with to love me. You know, when I went to work after I'd found Christ for real as a young adult, I went to church and I felt the call to ministry. And one of the guys that I worked with said, well, does this mean you can't have a beer with us anymore? I mean, they were immediately offended. My family was immediately offended. You know, you're weird. What's happened to you? You know, you always say, praise the Lord. What's gotten into you, you weirdo? But you see, Jesus really did something in me. He really did something in Mary. He really did something in Joseph. I was changed. I couldn't help it. I don't know what happened. I honestly don't. It just changed me. I mean, the way I was before was bad. I mean, and I don't mean bad behavior. I mean just bad in general. Jesus did something in my life. Now think about what Mary went through and think about what Joseph went through. Think about what they had to walk in for Jesus to be born. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news. 
God uses nobodies. I'm living proof of it. I'm from Amarillo, Texas. I'm not from an important family. We're not a Bivens. Those are the important names in Amarillo, Bivens. The Mary E. Bivens Library, Dick Bivens Stadium. Those people are important. And I'm not, and don't get me wrong, I'm not picking on those people. I'm just, that's an important name in Amarillo. I'm not from that family, okay? I'm, I'm not. My grandparents weren't important people. What do you mean? I mean in the world. We weren't wealthy. We weren't powerful. We weren't well-known, right? The Harrington is another family, the Sybil B. Harrington Cancer Center. There's no Rusty Gray Cancer Center. You know what I'm saying by that? I mean, yeah, we, we, I'm not from that kind of family. But here's the good news. Neither was Mary, and neither was Joseph, and neither, neither was Nazareth. But God did the most amazing thing in the world, and it's changed every one of us. Now, here's the thing. See, God wants to use you right where you are to change lives. And you don't have to be important. Oh, it's probably going to disrupt things, but you're going to change lives. And see, so you think, well, God can't use me. Well, the only, you know why he can't use you? Because you won't let him. You won't let him. You're waiting for everything to get lined out. You're waiting for things to change. Or you're afraid to take a risk. Or you're afraid to step out because what if people at work don't like it? Or what if I, my friends don't like it? Jesus uses nobodies in nowhere places. Isn't it crazy that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and not Jerusalem? I mean, he should have been born in a five-star hotel. Not a barn, right? Not a little cave full of cows and poop. I almost said crap. <laughs> Cow crap, right? Now, where we live, that smells like money, and I know it, right? I want, I want you to be encouraged this morning. Listen, God sent the greatest gift he could, and he sent him through ordinary people, just like us. Then he used fishermen who were just ordinary men, just like us. And I know all of you men in here and ladies, I know you work hard, and you're good, decent people. And Jesus wants to use you in your life and in your world. And he wants to use you in Tulia. He wants to use you in your job. He wants to use you in your family to bring life and to bring hope and to bring change just like he did with them. And I want you to be encouraged. Don't wait. Don't wait. Well, as soon as I change. No, Jesus wants to use you today. Jesus uses nobodies. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand up and let's pray. Lord, I love you this morning, and I'm grateful that you use nobodies. I'm grateful you use ordinary people. I'm grateful that you used Mary and Joseph, ordinary young people in an ordinary community in an out-of-the-way place. And, Lord, that's right where we are. We're good folks in an ordinary place, Lord, in an out-of-the-way place, if you will. Lord, we're excited when the weatherman says tool you on the TV in Amarillo. Aren't you? Yeah, when he says it's 68 and Tulia, I'm like, woohoo! Man, we matter. Amen? Amen. Doppler Dave loves us. I'm mad when he says Clovis. Nobody cares about Clovis. <laughs> that made me stop praying. Amen. 
Father, I love you. Bless us, strengthen us, encourage us. Lord, we want to be right in the middle of your will. We don't care who it disrupts and who likes it or who doesn't like it. Lord, we want to please you. I'm thankful for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Y'all go and be blessed and have a great rest of your weekend. Let's open up and let our hearts embrace this moment.